We'll be in uh, Romans chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And we'll be talking about justification by faith and not by works. Or you could also maybe name this uh, message, How Are You Made Right with God? So justification is the heart of the Gospel. And and Paul's defense of it here in Romans uh, may be one of the richest teachings in, in the whole Bible. And I don't intend to maybe go through a, a whole study of it verse by verse. I'll leave that for Pastor Corey, but rather do an overview of what is going on and bring out a few points uh, that will point us to justification in this question that is it by our faith, the things that we do, or is it, or is it by faith, or is it by works, the things that we do? And so when I was first saved, I did not know much about justification. In fact, there was a lot of theological terms that I did not know about either. And maybe you're here today and you're recently saved or you've been a Christian for many years and you do not know what justification is. Spurgeon puts it this way and he uses a good example of when you purchase land. And I remember when when we bought our house and our land, I had paid the money or the bank did And we had signed on the dotted line and we had got the key to our house and the house was ours. But when the lawyer put the pile of papers beside me of the deed and the title, I had no idea what all those meant. I did not know how to read that. And he likens it to justification. Even though you do not understand what it fully means, you are nonetheless justified. But he says, but one day, Spurgeon writes, there will come a time, beloved, when you who are called will clearly realize your justification and will rejoice in it, and it shall be intelligently understood by you and shall become a matter of transporting delight, lifting you to a higher platform of experience and enabling you to walk with a firmer step, to sing with a merrier voice, and to triumph with an enlarged heart. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before You. And I pray, O God, that Your Spirit would come with power amongst us here today and Your people in this place, that You would move. And God, I pray that those who are here that are in Christ will begin to clearly realize and understand more of the weight of what has been done for them through justification. I pray, God, that their faith will increase and that their joy will increase greatly. And also that their love of Christ will deepen and grow and that this will propel them to serve Him more. And for those here who do not know Christ, that today would be the day that they hear of God's love for them and that they will be so strongly convicted of their sin that they will not be able to rest until they surrender to God, believing in faith what He has done for them through Jesus on the cross. And God, that You'd help me, for I'm very weak. God, I pray that You would speak through me, that my words would be clear, that I would not stumble over them. Oh God, give me power to speak. And I pray that our ears would be open to hear what God has for us through His Word this morning, that Your Word would not return void. And oh, that we would look to Jesus crucified. That is the essential nutrient of the life of faith. And that we would never go away from it and never forget it. Help us now to understand your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Romans chapter 4. 
I'll read verses 1 to 13. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our father according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So, well, what is justification anyways? Why do we, why do you need to be justified? What's our problem here? And and justification is a legal term that simply means to declare someone righteous, not guilty. It's like you're before the court of law, you're before the judge, um, you've been accused of something, a crime, and the evidence is laid forward, and the judge reviews it, and he says, no, you're, you're, you're innocent, you're free to go. How much more God ruler and creator of all the earth, Almighty God, our judge, declare someone righteous. Well, what does it mean to be righteous? Well, perfectly conforming to God's perfect holy character and perfectly keeping God's perfect law. Wow. Well, what's our problem? If it isn't obvious, we need to be justified. We need to be made righteous. The answer is in chapter 3 here, and we'll go back and to rightly understand justification in our need, uh, I think we must begin here in chapter 3. So I'll read a few verses in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Um, Both Jews and Greeks are under sin as, as it is written. So everyone, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So in those first two verses, we see man's character. And then verse 13 and 14, we see man's conversation. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is on their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. I'll have 15 to 17, man's conduct. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In Romans 3.23, a little bit further, for all have sinned and come short of God. You see, we need to be justified because we are not righteous. We are guilty. No one 
is righteous. No, not one, as we read. Without holiness, the Bible says, no one will see the Lord. God's standard is perfection. No sin. Never breaking the law. All the time. We need to be righteous before God. And this is our problem. We are not righteous. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. And we deserve eternal punishment in hell under the wrath of God. A simple example of this is in the beginning with Adam and Eve. It took one sin. And what happened? They had to be thrown out of the garden. They were separated from God. They could not be in God's presence because He is holy. He cannot be with sin. So this proves man's need to be made righteous because of our sin. And that's pretty bad news where we stand. But it continues on in in chapter 3, verse 21. What does it say? It says, but now the righteousness of God or from God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We see this important part here in verse 21 that the righteousness of God comes apart from the law. See, the law is works. It's, it's what you have to do to earn God's favor. But here we see it says apart from the law. And God now graciously provides a righteousness that comes from Him. Him alone. No human effort. You cannot earn it. So how does God provide for us? How are we justified? We see in verse 22, the righteousness of God that comes through, not us, through Jesus. He took our place. He died for your sins placing your sins on Christ and His righteousness to you. Elsewhere in the Bible, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He says, He made Him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we may become the righteousness of God. The righteousness through faith in Jesus for all who believe. So now, through chapter 3, we see that we are sinners separated from God and there is nothing we can do on our own to be justified. But God provided for you, declaring you righteous by sending His own Son, Jesus. He takes your sin upon Himself and credits His righteousness to you. So chapter 4, with that in the background, Paul is writing here, um, and he chooses to use Abraham as his main illustration or uh, witness to prove to the Jews that they, and us all today, are justified by faith, not by works. The Jews and Judaism had had strayed from the truth and believed that they had to earn their place with God. And and Abraham was their their perfect man to hit it home hard against the Jews because they held him in such high esteem and thought him to be a perfect righteous man primarily because of the things that he did. And so Paul takes their perfect man and and uses to prove to them and to us that salvation comes through faith and, and not by works and not a mixture of the two. And so it's, it's important because I think we all have this natural tendency to try and to do things on our own. Well, who is Abraham? Remember back in Genesis, um, God called Abraham. He, he chose him to be the father of many nations, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. He made a promise to Abraham that one day an heir would come through his family line to redeem God's people from their sins. And, and Abraham believed God, and the Scriptures say... 
His faith was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was a man of great faith, and, and, to, and he proved it many times through much difficulty and, and endurance. I mean, he was called to leave his home and to go to a place that he did not know. He, he never entered the promised land. He never saw the great nation, but he never lost faith in God's promise. And Abraham is considered the father of faith. And what applied to him here is applied to all in the same way. As Abraham believed God, his belief and for us is counted as righteousness. So let's enter into the debate that Paul brings us here in Romans chapter 4 and read the first few verses. What then shall was what then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So the first point here, if Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to boast about. Well, so was Abraham justified by the things he did as the Jews seemed to believe? Can he boast in himself? Well, after all, he was a pretty good guy. He, he did many good things. He, God chose him, so he must have had some good in him, right? But we see in these verses that it was a work of God that justified him. So he cannot boast in what he had done, or even in a faith, the little faith that he may have had on his own. Abraham might, might have had some measure of faith, but faith in itself does not justify. And I'll give you a simple example of that. We have human faith and supernatural faith given by God. Human faith may take, for example, the chairs that you're sitting in. I didn't see anyone look underneath them and make sure they're okay, that it's welded together well. And, um, and we, we have a faith in these chairs to hold us because of a good history that we've built up with it. Um, it builds our confidence. Or someone who rides in an airplane uh, for work every day, it gets them from point A to point B, they have confidence in it. They don't second guess it. It's just natural for them to get in that plane. Maybe that was a bad example for some people who are scared of planes. But um, we, have, we have faith because of the confidence of the good history that we have, that we've seen. But supernatural faith from God is a gift. It's a gift by God that He gives us the ability to trust without history. Like Abraham, it's not normal to leave everything you know and blindly follow or to go and to kill your own son that all the promise of God relied upon. There was no precedence for Abraham, no evidence, no sight. All the promise was unfulfilled. Faith in something that he didn't see. This is not normal. It's faith that is given by a gift of God. And it's just like God gives us faith today. We believe in a God for a forgiveness we can't see, or a heaven that we've never been to, an eternal reward that we haven't received. This isn't normal. Faith is a gift freely given by God, not a result of what we do, so we have nothing to boast in. I think a verse that summarizes this all up is, is Ephesians 2.8.9, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Abraham did nothing to accumulate. God simply credited it to him. God took his own righteousness and put it on Abraham. And... May we search our own hearts this morning. Oh God, search our hearts for any self-reliance or, or self-dependence. 
that we would be careful to boast only in the Lord for what He has done. Boast in Christ for what He has done for you and the faith that He has given you. To God be the glory. You know, I know when I was saved, there was nothing that I did. Paul Washer gives a good example of how we are dead and how we are a rotting corpse in the bottom of the ocean. And God reaches down and pulls us up and breathes new life into us. There is nothing that we can do. It is a faith that is given by God. So Paul moves on to, uh, to simple logic here in verses 4 and 5. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So, it's pretty simple here. If you work, you deserve pay, you, you earn a wage. It's not a gift, but it is what you are due. If you don't work, you're, you're not owed anything. You don't deserve any pay or reward, anything given to you. It's not, not because you did it, and it's when you did nothing, it's just a gift. So you see here in these verses, along with many others, you go to 2 Timothy 1.9 or Philippians 3.9, and faith is given as a gift. You are declared righteous completely apart from any kind of work. So if it was our own effort... What do we earn for what we have done? Our own effort merits us death. Eternity in hell under the wrath of God. Remember in chapter 3, no one is good, no, not one. All our deeds are evil. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What is our wage? What does the Bible say that we are due? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. And salvation is, is always a sovereign gift of God's grace. Romans 11.6, But if it's by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace, grace would no longer be grace. If it's in and of ourselves, then we don't need Christ. It nullifies the Gospel. It, it kills it. There, it makes Christ of no effect. So we see that and we know now that no human effort can earn us justification. We can't earn it. All we earn is death. Salvation comes to those who believe in God, who justifies us, the ungodly, and that belief is counted as righteousness. Number three, if Abraham was justified by faith, not works, then what about his circumcision? Paul's argument continues in verse 9. Is this blessing then for only the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? No, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. See, the Jews believed that Abraham was justified because of his circumcision. They said, well, Abraham was circumcised and God declared him righteous, so ah, it, it must be by his works. It must have been what, by what Abraham did that justified him. But is it? Let's look at the timeline even. Abraham was in his 90s, around 99 when he was circumcised. That was around 14 years after God had declared him righteous. And the Jews weren't even around yet. Galatians, if you turn your Bible to Galatians 5, verses 1-6. Thank <laughs> you. 
For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For Christ neither, for Jesus Christ, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So if you accept circumcision, then you have to keep the whole law. Circumcision or not, it counts for nothing, only faith through love. And this was a very important point that Paul knocks out of the way because the Jews mingled salvation by grace uh, with the added necessity of works through circumcision. However, I think it's clear here in salvation that salvation is by works. Um, sorry, however, I think it's clear to see that salvation by works, then it must cancel God's gracious gift. Furthermore, what was the purpose of salvation in, in Romans 4, verse 11 and 12? Well, Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. And the purpose in verse 12 was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. To whom? To those who believe by faith. So we see it was a sign and a seal. In Genesis 17, it was a sign, a symbol, confirming the nation of Israel, God's people, confirming the covenant between God and man. And it was also a seal as, as evidence that God had promised forgiveness and salvation. So all this pointing us to the fulfillment of the law through Jesus. Circumcision served its purpose, its function, and its function was not that of salvation. And let us pause for a minute and search our own hearts. Let us not go far, so far as to thinking of how foolish the Jews could be, and think that they are, or that think that we are any better. You know, oh, that God would move in our hearts today, that that we would not be comfortable as to rest in something that we have done, or or and use it as an excuse to think that our count is settled with God. How many of our culture? How many of you here today, maybe with different upbringings, different religions? personal experiences, how many are trusting in these? Trusting in something that you have done to make yourself think that you are right before God. Oh, how it can creep in so deceptively. How many are trusting that they are saved from eternal hellfire because, well, I was baptized when I was a child or later. I was, I was confirmed in the, in the church so it, I'm all good. It's, it's settled. Or maybe I, I'm young and healthy. I got lots of time. You know, I, I go to church every Sunday. You say I'm a good person. You know, I come to church. I present myself well. I don't do anything too bad. I, I'm for sure not like that other person over there or that person I heard on the news. Paul is is proving to us here that we are made right with God by faith, belief in Jesus. He throws away circumcision. He throws away baptism. Any ceremony um, or good work, he, He throws it away. He reminds us that if you put your trust in any of these things that you have made, Christ of no effect. Do you realize that if you rest eternity in the hands of what you do, then you have to keep the whole law. You have to be perfect or die. 
No good work will make anyone righteous ever. We are saved. You are saved by faith, which God gives as a gift. And God responds by accrediting righteousness to your account. And our sign or our seal, salvation, Ephesians 1.14, is it's the work of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. James also talks about faith and works. And he says we are not saved by works, but true faith will show itself in its works. True faith will show itself in action, in what we do, but it's not what saves us. So my fear is that today in our culture, we have made a custom of going to church and presenting ourselves well at church, but then where is our faith Monday to Saturday? At your workplace. How many years have you worked where you were and no one knows that you're a Christian? Have you shared the gospel with someone at your workplace? Where is your faith at work proving itself in its works? What about at home? Fathers, do you provoke your children to anger and there's no repentance? Are you training your children up in the way they should go, teaching them about the things of the Lord, in the Word with them, praying with them? Where is your faith with your children? Husbands and wives. Husbands, do you love your wives? Do you put her first? Where is your faith proving itself in its actions? And wives, do you love and submit to your husbands? Jesus says, you know, Jesus came to forgive us of our sin, to pay the debt for our sin. But when He prays before God the Father, He says, oh that they would know Me. If faith produces a love for God, that we want to know God more. So where are we during the week? When there's things in the church that need to be done, there's ways in which we could serve. Are you using your talents and your abilities that God has given you for Him? Where is your faith? You know, we can easily fill our week up with with extracurricular things and sports and activities and we can make our children very busy and all these things. But what happens? We have seven evenings a week and what happens when the church meets for prayer one night a week? Where are we? Oh, we're too tired. We would rather watch the game. Even Sunday mornings, you have seven days a week. God said, one day a week, come and meet with me and worship me. And even in the Bible, we see very many places of where God um, commands that we as His children would meet together in corporate prayer. So where are we? God, search our hearts today that we would prove our faith by our actions. And to close this point, we can't trust in any ceremony, like I said, or work to save us. John MacArthur describes these following things uh, very well. And he says, Circumcision. It didn't save, but symbols that God will save. The Passover. It didn't save from sin, but signified that God had the power to save and that God would save. He would save through the blood of the Lamb. The Lord's table, communion, doesn't save, but declares that God will save by His work on the cross for all who repent and believe. 
And baptism, many trust in baptism today. It doesn't save, but declares that God will save the one who puts his trust in Christ and therefore joins in his death, burial, and resurrection. So through chapter 4 here, Paul, he proves to us without a doubt that we, that, that you are justified through faith as a gift of God's grace, not by something you do, not by works. It started with Abraham, the father of faith, that God would sovereignly choose, and now no matter who you are or what you've done, God will save you if you call out to Him in faith. And I'll close in the last point. Uh, if you noticed, I may have skipped over verses 7 and 8. And so we'll, we'll go th- through those now. Be, I pray that you're encouraged through these verses and that you feel the weight of what has been done and the blessing that comes to those whose sins are covered. It says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man with whom the Lord will not count his sin. Here in verse 7 and 8, taken from David in Psalm 32, David knew the blessing of imputed righteousness. Blessed are those who are forgiven. This, this is the grounds of your foundation of your salvation. The foundation of what true blessedness is. In Hebrews 8.12 also, I will be merciful toward their iniquities and remember their sins no more. And in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 43, let's turn there real quick. This is maybe the pinnacle of grace in the Old Testament. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings, or honored me with your sacrifices. Verse 22, sorry. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not brought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. In verse 25, Isaiah 43. I, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins anymore. They See here, they, they didn't obey any of what God commanded. And yet, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. How gracious and loving our Father is. You are blessed only because of what Jesus has done. You are covered. You are forgiven clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Pardoned people are truly the most blessed people on earth. And doesn't that encourage you that tomorrow morning when you wake up and depression sets in or anxiety sets in, that your sins are covered. Eternity is is all set. You will be with God forever in heaven. You have nothing to worry about. How much, if we truly had faith in this, because... Tomorrow, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. But all of eternity is what we need to be looking forward to. And it kind of makes the trials of this earth feel so much less when we look to Jesus that our sins are forgiven. Remember Adam and Eve symbolizing you know, God covered them with clothes in His grace and His mercy. He covered up their sin and their shame to the Day of Atonement where the lamb or the bull would be killed and the sins of man transferred onto that animal. These were a shadow of the day to come when the Lamb of God 
God's only Son, Jesus, would come to carry the sins of the world upon Himself. God canceled our guilt, our sin, and put them onto Christ. All of our righteousness is filthy rags. Your filthy clothes placed upon Jesus on the cross and the garment of His righteousness given to you. This is the heart of the Gospel. The heart of justification being declared righteous by Almighty God. Jesus takes your sin upon Himself and imputes His righteousness to us. So we see in Romans chapter 4 that we are justified by faith. And faith is counted to us for righteousness because of what Christ has done in the finished work on the cross. The fulfillment of the law. Nothing else. Or it's not the faith of the Scriptures. And I pray that you would today, that you would rest upon what Christ has done and in Him alone. And so as I close for the Christian, I I hope that you understand the immeasurable blessing that is found that your sins have been covered. That you are saved from sin and that you are justified once and for all because of Jesus. I hope that the weight of what God has done for you will commence a greater love and a reverence for Him. And may your faith show it by your service to Him. As Spurgeon said, I said in the beginning, that you will rejoice in your salvation, that it will lift you high, and that you will walk with a firmer step and sing with a merrier voice. And for the one today here who has not come to Jesus. Come to Him today. Find your rest in Christ. What He has done for you on the cross. There is salvation in no one else. Call upon the Lord today and be saved. That your belief would be counted to you as righteousness. But don't say that Oh, I have tomorrow. You know, many of us here are young and seemingly healthy. As myself and others here in this room work in the healthcare system and medical world, we see that one minute a person could be there and the next, just like that, they're gone. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. So don't put it off. Don't say you'll have tomorrow. Come to Christ today. Surrender to Him. Call upon Him. And He won't cast you out. I'll close with uh, an example by R.C. Sproul that kind of gives a good picture of what has been done for us on the cross. In one hand, there's a blank book. A thousand pages. And as you live your life and you sin, a mark is put on the book each time. The book starts to get filled up pretty quick, as we can imagine. Completely covered. Actually, the question is, is, is there any part of that book that isn't covered, isn't marked? And then on the other hand, is the book of the life of Jesus. How many marks? How many sins? No, not one. And so here's how your salvation happens. On the cross, God takes your book and puts it onto Christ. And as you trust in Christ, God takes His book and puts it onto you. Your sin to Christ and His righteousness to you. And it doesn't get any better than that. 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word that truly shows us how we are to live. And God, I pray that no one here would put their trust in something that they do to make them right before God. It is so, so deceptive how we can, how we naturally tend to trust in the things that we do to make us right. The things that we do that we would boast but no, that we would rest in Christ and Christ alone. We cannot boast in anything that we have done for all that we have earned our wages, death. And we don't deserve anything, yet God, You came. You sent Your Son to come and to pay for our sin. And it wasn't because of anything that we did. It was because of Your love and Your grace and Your mercy. So God, I pray that You would search our hearts that we would trust in You alone, and that if there's someone here who does not know Christ, oh, that they would come to You today, that today would be the day of their salvation. Search our hearts, O oh God. Thank You for Your Word and the blessing that it is and the blessing that we can rest in knowing that our sins have been covered. In Jesus' name.